0: Hello, my name is Patricia and I'd like to welcome you to the second episode of the fourth series of the haiku P podcast. It's a podcast dedicated to haiku and senryu, which started in 2017, when I started to share my learning of haiku and invited you to come on the journey with me. I was really happy that so many of you joined me and together we've spread the word that haiku is fun, but perhaps a little bit harder than you would imagine to write. And here we are in 2021, the fourth series, and the goal of the podcast is subtly changing. For the good, I hope. We're still shouting from the rafters about how much fun it is to write, read, and listen to haiku. We're still welcoming new poets. But this year, I thought we'd work on our technique, together. With this in mind, this year our topics will, I hope, be a little bit more challenging to write for. I'd like to offer workshops from experienced hygiene who can guide and mentor us to improve our writing skills. And I think we've made a good start so far with workshops from Roger Watson about humour and Deborah P. about exaggeration in haiku. And there's more to come. As you know, I'm always open to suggestions. And if you or someone you know have ideas for workshops and speakers, do please get in touch. It's already happening, and as a result, Randy Brooks is coming along to talk to us in a future episode, as too are Ben Gar and Brad Bennett. So let's talk about this episode. Our challenge was to write verses about spring and autumn. Traditionally, Japanese haiku have used kigo, words which you all know symbolise a season. As I said before, it's relatively easy to do that when you're writing haiku which involves one culture or or one country. Not so easy when you write English language haiku and the poets who write those verses originate from so very many cultures and so many nations across the hemispheres. Which is one reason I'm covering two seasons in one podcast. In this instance, I ask that you give us a clue which season you were writing about either spring or autumn. In the last podcast, I told you that I'll be changing the format for the monthly reading podcast. I'd like to introduce a panel of judges to choose their favourite poems and tell me why. They'll tell you which ones they've chosen during the podcast, and then I'll put their analysis in the journal along with the results of our deliberations, which we have off-air, so to speak. I'm starting in this podcast, and I'm inviting you to meet my family, a very supportive bunch who I press ganged into being this month's judges. You'll meet them as we go along. The original plan was that we'd spend Christmas together, and perhaps over a cup of coffee and some Christmas cake, we'd have a family discussion and decide on the winning haiku. However, like many of you, I guess, our Christmas was not as we intended. One of my sons and my daughter were locked down in London, and so the five of us had an evening Zoom chat instead. Nowhere near the same, but we all have to make the best of things at the moment, don't we? I wonder if you'll agree with them about the choices. As usual, I'll start the podcast with some haiku that have been published elsewhere, and then, of course, it's your turn to dazzle us with some original haiku, written for the podcast. As usual, I'll read the verse first and tell you who wrote it afterwards. Blue Nymphophilia. I still miss the little things... About my sister, Debbie Strange, who was the winner in 2020 of the Akita International Haiku Contest. Sap rising, he imagines me completely. Melissa Allen from Modern Haiku, 42.3. Leaves. Blowing into a sentence. Robert Boldman, haiku in English, the first hundred years. Daffodils, a memory of childhood. Robert Horribin. from the Poetry P. Journal of Haiku and Senryu, summer 2020. And last, another from our very own journal. Writer's block. A young fox runs into my haiku. Marion Clark, from the Poetry P. Journal of Haiku and Senryu, Spring 2020. And now over to you for our very own, original haiku and senryu. Prom night. A snowy egret steps ripple by ripple. M. Shane Pruitt. Weaving in the mackerel sky, skeins of geese. Cherry A. Falling leaves, a black mask, tight on my face. Anna Maria Domberg, San Cristoforo. The ruts we slip into, falling leaves. Debbie Strange. Fragrant lilac, winter's farewell. Laura Driscoll. Early frost, the roses even pinker. Laurie Beckerer. Flowers sleep in forgotten warmth. Leaves start to fall. Sarah Mahina Calveo Chicks in the nest dappled with the sunrise. Wind chimes. Carrie-Anne Tunnell Indian summer Do those white puffs over the hills spell the storm? Eugenius Zakarski. Scribbling the prologue, Pink Blossom. Zara Mugis. Burying his head in a warm scarf, The Scarecrow, Marilyn Ward. Blood Moon, the burning eyes and grin of a pumpkin. Baron Saha. Wild Garlic, that pungent scent of my youth. Dorothy Burrows. Eine kleine Nachtmusik. The acorn's staccato on the barn roof. Kristen Linquist. Spade down, wiping my brow with a sleeve, a tulip blossoms. Kim Russell. The robin reclaims his garden, russet and olive. Peter Draper. Crow moon, the shades of a feather tangled in the holly. Alan Summers. Siamese cat, sniffs at a molehole, the day shortens. Kathleen Tice. Equinox morning, grandad trades his long johns for boxers. Nika. And now we come to our first nomination for the judge's choice. It's Alex's choice. Welcome to the podcast, Alex.
1: Well, it's a pleasure to be here.
0: Tell us, Alex, what poem did you choose and why?
1: Well, I chose a poem by B.A. France, uh, which I'll read to you now twice. So the poem goes, Dark clouds racing past empty branches, tea kettle sings. Dark clouds racing past empty branches, tea kettle sings. It is easy to imagine looking out the window at the dark gray autumn sky, uh, knowing that something terrible draws near. Then one composes oneself at the sharp, shrill piping of the tea kettle, uh, which is a classic feeling of late autumn, to know that things will get darker, harder and more difficult before it passes and the warm optimism of spring can return. In regards to the rhythm, the second line is particularly good. First, we are hit with the short, ominous warning of the dark cloud stamped into our vision, where it remains for a moment. Then, like the clouds themselves, the words race through the second line, adding a certain feeling of dynamism to the poem. And finally, we're brought to a calm finish to be reassured by the singing of the tea kettle, uh, which is slowing us to an even pace. Uh, What I especially enjoy is the contrast between the first and the last words of the poem, dark and sing, One clearly evokes a sense of foreboding, while the latter is an uplifting, hopeful word. So it suggests that despite how dark and bleak the world can look at times, there is always joy to be found if one could just see it. I chose this poem because it brings me vague memories and feelings of childhood and also of growth into an adult. So it reminds me of time spent outside, uh, staring into the forests and being awed by the vast skies around me and uh, the feeling of being so small as a child with very little control over the world around me. Then at the end of my overcoming these feelings with age, as I now am the person who sees the dangers of the world and can feel reassured that I'm in control of my own fate. I'm the one who boils the tea kettle and calmly drinks my tea while facing what may come.
0: Thank you, Alex. Thank you very much.
1: It's my pleasure.
0: Ripe suns shining in moonlight. Pumpkins. S. Narayanan. Warm water. The koi kiss my toes. Ronald K. Craig. Not quite winter. Still hanging by a thread. Red maple leaf. Richard Tice. Cherry blossoms. How quietly morning comes. Srinivas S. A red leaf, reconsidering the meaning of the word woman. Nadja Kostadinova. First frost. I find her letter in his pocket. Vandana Parashar. Amber, golden, brown. How many hues ageing takes. Anjali Wahadpande. The Clearing at an Old Stone Slab. Easter Lilies. Christina Chin. Rain Falls on the Tarps. Olive Harvest. Roberta Beach Jacobson. Digging the garden, the robin and my coat, sitting on the spade. James Young Abscission, the brittle sound of my adidas. Jitendra Meghani Nature's Torpor brings Hedgehog back to life, seen as an Easter miracle. Ian Speed. Tall dandelions going to seed in perfect globes, untouched by breezes. Richard Bailey. Flaming Maples, a girl cartwheels in the leaves. Elaine Wilbert. Around each new leaf, crippled calf curls his grey tongue, sweet grass within reach. Ronald Toby Sunlight calls, ice drum, the prairie grass. Kelly Lage Edge of dawn, hitting all the right notes, the nightingale and I. Sonal Srinivasan. Pre dawn, waiting by the mailboxes, our old school bus. Brett Brady. Billowing clouds, the quiet whispers of tea pickers. Nina Singh. Next, I'd like to welcome Leo. Hello, Leo. Hello. So tell us, Leo, what is your nomination for the judge's choice and why?
2: I chose this poem by Eddie Lee. Boarded up carousel, a flagless cord whips the pole. Boarded up carousel, a flagless cord whips the pole. And I chose this poem for three reasons. First, the overarching image does a great job at capturing that transitory character of autumn. After all, transition is a fundamental, if not the fundamental condition of autumn. But more than that, this poem captures that transitory character without reaching for the easier, more cliched images of nature. Falling leaves, shortening days, first frosts. Instead, it focuses on how the way we live our lives changes with the seasons. That boarded up carousel is quite a potent image of the way in which our freer, almost childlike joys are put away after summer, as we move towards the more sedate, housebound joys of winter. The circus is quite literally packing up and leaving town. Beyond that overarching idea of change, I'm also a fan of the smaller image of the flagless cord whipping the pole. At the most basic level, it succeeds in conveying two vital elements of autumn. The flagless cord reiterates the feel of the circus leaving town, while the whipping of the pole suggests the cold autumn winds rising. But what I like more about that image is that there's a uniqueness and a specificity to it which makes it feel real. It's something which the reader may never have noticed before but which they instinctively understand and finally my favorite part of the poem is the way the words remind you of the joys that have been while at the same time emphasizing that they're gone we see that in the first line as the excitement associated with the carousel is preemptively extinguished by the revelation that it's already boarded it up though an even better example of this is the flagless cord it could have quite easily been a bare cord or a naked cord both of these give the desired sense of barrenness, but instead we're explicitly reminded of what was there, namely the flag, while in the same word being told that it's no longer there.
0: Thank you very much, Leo. Thank you. Very interesting. Feast of St. Andrew, the eye of the sea bass beneath a lemon slice. Joshua Gage Grey light, dawn walk through trees of saffron crimson tangerine, near a cash up. Crescent moon, filling the blanks in with fireworks. Tracy Davidson Clear water, a slight stir in the turn of a trout. Pat Davis Pansies brimming with dewdrops, Mother's Day. Natalia Kuznetsova Even as it falls, the silence, pink camellia. Angela Terry Cold morning stretching to the rhythm of falling rain. Paul Callas. Double whammy on the line, shallow side of river. E. L. Blizzard. Now, I wasn't sure what this was about, but happily, E. L. Blizzard gave me a little commentary. She said if I wasn't familiar with this double whammy, it was a reference to fishing for crappie, when they sometimes tip a jig with a minnow. And as for the shallow side of the river, that apparently is the best place to fish for them in spring. Thanks for that. It's one of the joys of the podcast that I've had a little virtual chat with the poets And I've learnt little bits and pieces like that. Thank you very much. Bear poop. Full of berries. The forest hush. Craig Kittner. And Craig, just for you, I'm going to repeat it. Bear poop. Full of berries. The forest hush. Blooming dogwood. My son brings home his first girlfriend, John McManus. First prongs of dogwood leaves, tiny crab claws, David Oates. Now I'm going to interrupt our poetry just for a moment to say a few thank yous. Firstly, thank you very much for all the positive feedback from episode one. I'm so pleased you enjoyed Debbie's presentation and I look forward to receiving your submissions of exaggerated perspective from the 1st to the 20th of February. The feedback about Jim's postcard project was also great. Many of you have said that you'll definitely give it a go but perhaps you could email Jim too and you'll find his email address in the show notes for episode 1 and also in the Poets directory. Just let him know that you're taking part in the project. I think he's had three emails so far plus a postcard from me which I hope he might have received by now. And I received his yesterday. It's absolutely beautiful. Thank you, Jim. And if you weren't thinking of taking part I'd reconsider because it's worth it just to get some beautiful work from Jim. Now, as you know, the Haikopi podcast is free and I definitely intend to keep it that way, don't worry. But I do have costs. That's why I put the buy me a coffee button on the website. It's an opportunity for you to donate a little bit to the work I do and help me offset some of the costs. I wasn't sure whether it would work, but you have been using it. And it really helps. So I thank you all very, very much. Now, back to the poetry. Each day follows the next duckling, Brad Bennett. On the laburnum branches, a cuckoo sings of the dawn. Rose. Lights off, blinds closed. Tricking the neighbours not to ask for treats. Chris pays. Cuckoo calls out of fog-wrapped trees. To east or west. Robin Rich. Fallen leaves, a layering carpet on failing lawn. Rob McKinnon. Rob, I think you've been to my garden, haven't you? The sun returns, frenzy of nest building after the rain. Eve Castle. First light, gold leaves shimmer on a still pond. Bona M. Santos. It always makes me very happy to hear that one of our poets has tried something new for the first time, perhaps inspired by us. So today our next poet, Lekka, has written a monaco for the first time and has resolved to try many more new forms in the future. Wind whirls and swirls Multicoloured crunchy confetti Lecca Desai Morrison Balmy Breeze Severely Emaciated A Snowman Samo Kreutz. Too long inside a shell, the baby bird cracks. Robert Whitmer. Magenta shades between earth and sky. Cosmos flowers. Daniela Miso. Fiddlehead ferns. The first of four movements. Lorraine A. Padden. Alone in the field, not even a crow. Harvest moon. Linda L. Ludwig. Hazy evening, the impending night of sleep deprivation. Giddy Nielsen Sweep. Harvest Moon, the Toasty Scent of Pumpkin Bread. Valentina Ronaldi Adams. Shameless Winds Ravage, Carnival Foliage Stripped, A Forest Shudders. Robert Casada. Dawn Moon. The rattle of milkman's containers, Richa Sharma. Simmering chutney, the aroma ripens every room, Mark Gilbert. Final harvest, enough dill for Friday's fish, Christine Venk Harrison. Getting near Grandpa's, the waft of jasmine. Riam El Ashri. Daylight moon, burying the hyacinth bulb, pointed side up. Doris Lynch. Deserted streets, in spite of it all, tulips bloom. Sharon Rutersell Jones. Daydreaming, the three-fourth moon, still in the sky. Lakshmi Aya. Six feet apart in the patch, faceless pumpkins. Wendy C. Bialik. Light morning mist rises over the songs of swamp sparrows. Doug Lanzo. First day back to school, the sound of yellow fog. Kendall Lot. The slope, blooming with wild sage. Distant village. Bruce H. Feingold. Almond flowers open, petals among bare branches waiting for the bee. Richard Hargreaves. Pale moon, the loneliness of each leaf that falls. Avinda Daffodil trumpets, the dawn chorus muted by late snow. Robert Horabin Raindrops trickle through branches sounds in my silence Barbara Carlson The sun rises through the half-dense mist a diamond corona Ibra Hussein Hot suns in the tender grass. Primroses. Mariangela Cansey. Let's close today's podcast with our final nomination for the judge's choice. Two of the team chose the next verse. Welcome, Imogen and Harry. Hello. Thank you. Who is going to go first?
3: Imogen? Yeah, happy to go first.
0: Excellent. Thank you. Off you trot.
3: So the poem that I've chosen is by Maya Deneva. Vacations end in the child's pocket, a handful of sand. Vacations end in the child's pocket, a handful of sand. I chose this poem because there's so much symbolism in it. The poem is ostensibly about a child's summer vacation coming to an end. Autumn is coming, the freedom of summer is over for another year, school is just around the corner. The poem has a wistful tone giving us the sense of an ending. The vacation is used as a metaphor for the child's coming of age. The sand in the child's pocket signifies the sands of time as the child grows up, the hand clasped around it symbolizing the unwillingness to let go, instead clinging to the comforts of childhood, free of the anxieties and pressures of adolescence and adulthood. The sand carried around with the child also represents the formation of the young mind as we carry our memories and experiences to date with us to shape our future selves. The use of the pocket as the place where the sand is being stored symbolises the safeguarding of these memories, Our pockets are where we keep our most important possessions that we want to have close to us. The use of the word handful is also important. If you have ever tried to hold sand in your fist, you'll know it is impossible to keep much of it there as it slips through your fingers, leaving only a small amount left in your palm. This seems to be referring to the attempts we all make to hold on to our memories as we inevitably grow older and forget, but the experiences we have still continue to shape us in important ways. Finally, I like how when reading the poem, you can see that the word vacation is singular, but when hearing it, it could be the plural vacations. Speeding up time as the summers of childhood continue to come to an end.
0: Thank you, Imogen. And Harry, you chose the same poem.
4: Yes, I did. Vacations end in the child's pocket, a handful of sand. So this opens up with this word vacation. And although we see the end of the vacation, this immediately made me think of my own holidays as a child. So it took me right back to childhood. The theme, I think, here is spring and autumn. So we can see the vacation end is really the end of that glorious period of summer and leading us into autumn. So this time of, you know, leisure and pleasure of long, lazy days, sunshine, no responsibilities, lots of freedom is is disappearing. We can see it's just come to an end. It's over. You can imagine... I certainly think back to my own childhood. You had your pocket money for the summer. You could spend it on all kinds of things. Sweets, uh, candy floss, cheap seaside souvenirs. But now they've gone. The sunshine's gone and now we're moving into the dark and rainy days of autumn. And although our pockets seem empty, we see that the previous contents have been replaced. They've been replaced by, by sand, which you can feel you put your hand in your pockets, stick under your fingernails, you can feel the grit between your fingertips. And each grain can give you a reminder of the things you've done in the summer. And for me, that was quite a positive feel to it. When you first look at it, it looks quite sad, you know, in a child's pocket, a handful of sand. But for me, I, I found that quite positive because you could imagine each of those grains of sand is a reminder to get you through the dark, miserable days of autumn and winter. Uh, it's a reminder of the things you did in summer and the things will come back again. So whereas I think Imogen saw this as a transition from maybe childhood to adulthood, for me it was it was like a reminder that summer always comes around again. And there's always pleasure. You just need something to get you through the darker days of autumn and winter. So overall, it was a great way to evoke childhood memories for me. It brought back a lot of memories of a particular period when there's lots of freedom and no responsibilities, how things change.
0: Thank you, Harry. So now we need to settle in and have a little discussion between ourselves as to which of these verses will be the overall winner. Thank you very much to all of you. Thank you. We've had our off-air discussion and we've chosen the winner and the honourable mentions. You'll be able to see how it went in the spring journal. My thanks to my family for their analyses. Now off-air, we had another discussion and I wonder what you think. Is it time to think outside the box for our next seasonal poems? We debated whether next time we should be traditional in our approach and use seasonal words or whether we should avoid seasonal words and see what we could evoke without using them. What to do? I need to think about it, but I'd really love to hear your thoughts. Now, before we go, just a couple of reminders. You still have time to send me your submissions of Haiku and Senryu inspired by FS Flints Ogre. The deadline is the thirty first of January twenty twenty one. And I'm accepting humorous Haiku and Senryu until the twentieth of January 2021 as well. So you're cutting it fine if you haven't sent them yet. Exaggerated perspective is next month's topic and I'll be accepting submissions from the 1st to the 20th of February. And don't forget if you if you have Haibun I'm accepting submissions for the Spring Journal. And I guess really the deadline should be 28th of February. Thank you to everyone who wrote for the podcast today. I enjoyed reading them, as did my family. And thank you for coming along and listening. It was terrific to have your company, as always. Do let me know what you think by email. Next time on the High Cookie Podcast, Ben Garr is back and he'll be introducing another topic. No ego in our haiku. I hope you come along and listen, and don't forget to check the Poetry P YouTube channel. There's more and more on there for you to enjoy. So until next time, keep writing. If I've missed anything, just let me know via email, and I'll put it right. Ciao!